All right, so let's get into the Word this morning. Uh, we will be in Second Corinth, uh, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Second Chronicles seven four. Actually, we'll be in that whole passage of Scripture. Um, but let me say a prayer over this sermon before we start. Okay. Father, Lord God, thank you for everything that's happened already. Lord, I, I would say we've been, we've been filled already by your presence here today. But Lord, as we get into your word, Lord, help me to preach it the way you want. Let it be clear. Let it not be hard to understand. Let it be a clear word and a convicting word that, that will bring life to the congregation and all those that hear it and uh, get us further equipped for the call you put upon our lives to be a light to the world around us. Anoint me, Lord, with your presence, and uh, let your perfect will be done with it. We thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So Second Chronicles seven fourteen, you probably know it, many of you. It says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, for the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been preaching about the name of the Lord. The first message was called the name. The second message was called a prayer in the name or in that name. And we were basically referring to Acts 3 and 4 when Peter and John came and healed the lame man and the consequences of that healing. But, but we, we learned that there's, there's healing in the name of the Lord. Amen? There's salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. And there's miracles, there's power, there's life in that precious name of Jesus. So today I want to entitle this sermon, Called by My Name, take number 14. And we want to focus today on the role of the church, if there's a role of the church in this day and age. In other words, what role, if any, does the church play as we deal with the pandemic as we deal with political craziness and hatred, as we deal with social violence and racial issues, um, as we deal with the, the natural calamities of fires out west and hurricanes down south and changing weather pattern, patterns. So does the church have any relevance in our country or does the, does the church of God have any relevance across the world in the midst of this whole situation that we're dealing with? Now, this scripture that we read, although many people know it or have heard of it, it's familiar to many of us. But this scripture is very uh, controversial in the sense that theologians have raised the question, does this scripture pertain only to Israel at that time and place in history, or does it pertain to the church at large? And so we want to look at the whole context of this passage and then bring out some things that I think and I hope will be a blessing for us today. So let's go back. To, let's start at verse number 10 of Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7, starting at verse number 10. Here's the setting of where we're at. Everyone knows King David, right? King David had a son named Solomon. David died and Solomon became king. Well, so, uh, David was, had aspirations to build the temple. But he never built the temple. But his son Solomon built the temple. And the temple was built, the Lord was happy, people were happy, God was, everything was all set, and Solomon did a great job with that temple. So it picks up in verse number 10. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, 
He sent the people away to their tents, joyful and glad of heart for the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people Israel. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. Now, most people will say that between verses 11 and 12, there's a span of time that went by. Most people think a long time, like maybe five or six years went by before this next episode happened. So verse number 12, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of prayer. So I asked the question in verse number 12, what was Solomon praying about? We don't know what he was praying about. But whatever he prayed about, God heard his prayer. And, and, and the Lord is, is reiterating the fact that this place, the temple, is a place that he's, he chose to be a house of sacrifice, a house of prayer. But verse number 13 gives us a little bit of insight into what the prayer might have been about. Because in verse number 13, uh, the Lord says, When I shut up heaven and there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people. So my question is, what, what is that verse doing right there? Because we just read, everything was good. The temple was built. Everybody's happy. The Lord received the sacrifices. So some years went by. And the Lord says to Solomon, okay, I'm hearing your prayers. I'm with you, Solomon. So when, when I send, when I shut up heaven, I, I do all these things. So that's telling me something that's going on behind the scenes here. So I believe that what was happening was the people of Israel lost their first love and their fervor for pleasing the Lord. So he's saying, when I shut up heaven and there's no rain and command the locusts to devour the land and send pestilence among the people... Well, in other words, God's going to send calamity. But, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, right? Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and I'll heal their land, the Lord says. Verse 15, so, so then now, if verse 14 happens, now my eyes will be open, my ears will be attentive to the prayers made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. And then verses 17 and 18 is personal for Solomon. As for you, if you walk after me as your father David walked, and do according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom. As I coveted with David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man as a ruler in Israel. So if, if, if I send all these things, but if my people repent and get right with God, the Lord will relent and, and bless them and take care of them. But verse number 19, but if, if you turn away, he says, if you turn away and forsake the statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from the land of Israel, which I've given them, and this house which I've sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight and will make it a proverb and a byword among the people. As for this house, so he's talking about two houses. One house is the temple. The other house is the house where the king lived, the mansion where the king lived. As for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? And they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
and embraced other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity upon them. So, my question is, is this for Israel or is this for the church or is this for both? It's definitely for Israel. Verse number 14, if my people, God's chosen people was Israel. They were called by Jehovah God and their land was Israel. They had land. They had physical land. But we Christians don't have a land. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship's in heaven. So in one way, this can't apply to the church in, in the strictest sense. Hebrews tells us that we're registered in heaven. We don't have a place here. We're pilgrims here. We're sojourners here. We're passing through. So on the one hand, it pertains to Israel. But there's principles involved that do pertain to the church. Here are are some of the principles. That no matter where you are on the timeline, Old Testament or New Testament, repentance always, always gets God's attention. In fact, he desires it. He waits to hear from us to repent of our sins. The Matthew 7, 7 principle is still alive and well. If you don't know what that is, Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. If you cry out to God, he'll respond to your cry. It's a principle that's, that's valid. Another principle is this. Obedience always brings God's blessing. And disobedience always brings consequences. So today, many people believe that the calamities that we're facing right now, the things I mentioned earlier, the pandemic, the the climate issues, uh, the violence, the political season, are linked to a lack of effectiveness in the church. So going back to verse number 13, when the Lord says, when I send these things... So many people are thinking that God is allowing these things to happen to get the attention of the church. As though the Lord is is saying, can you hear me? Can you sense what I'm doing? Can you feel what I'm trying to get accomplished through my church, my beloved church that I gave my life for? I have been referring to this season of pandemic since March as a holy pause. Everything's on hold. Well, most things are on hold. The way we have church is different. The way we do schooling for children is different. The way we work is different. Uh, The sports world is different. The entertainment world is different. Activities are different. Uh, The social mask, the uh, social distancing and the mask that we wear, it makes things different. I heard something interesting yesterday or the day before about the sports that are going on today. And I, I thought about this. You know, Major League Baseball has these stadiums. That, that house 40,000, 50,000 people. And now no one can go to the games. So they have cutouts of people in the stands, cardboard. And so when you watch it on TV, you see all these people there, but they're, they're fake. And then they have noise piped in. So the roar of the crowd, when someone gets hit, the roar of the I think, wow. And then I read, well, one reason why they do that is because if, if there wasn't any noise, each team would hear each other yelling at each other and there might be a big brawl on the field if there's a, you know, they, they, the way they talk to each other. But National F- Football League, uh, uh, the NBA is the same thing. How could, like there's nobody there. It's just very strange. So all that to say, many Christians believe that it's time to turn to God as never before. 
This is an opportunity God has given us. I mean, part of me that loves sports wants everything to get back to normal, but another part of me says, man, just shut it down. Let's let the whole thing go. We could live without it. But many people believe that this season that we're in is is the, the last hurrah or the last chance for the church to get it right. And let me say this too, that right now there are some churches that are advocating for what we would consider sinful behavior to be legal, to be legalized. Whether it's abortion all the way through a full-term pregnancy, or whether it's uh, the LGBTQ community and certain things there. But there are churches that are advocating to legalize sinful lifestyles and, and behavior. And this is the church of today. So I think maybe losing the moral standard in the church at large has allowed the Lord to give us an opportunity to get things right. Is this why this is happening today? Is, he, is this happening to awaken the church and to separate the real church from the fake church or the not-so-real church or the, the spiritual moral church from the political social church? And that's not to say that the real spiritual church is not socially minded. We are, obviously, we're socially minded. We're involved in many social causes in our community. But I think the Lord is allowing this to happen to wake up the true church and to get the true church, you know, situated so that he could do what he wants to do through his church. Let's go back to verse number 14. So if my people who are called by my name, certainly it refers to Israel, the chosen people called by Jehovah God. Remember, God picked Abraham. God picked Moses. He called them to be his vessels that he would bring the message of the Messiah through. And the the people of God were established by the law of God. But now the law is finished. The law of Moses is done. Now grace has come. Hallelujah. And my people refers to those that respond to John 3.16. Whosoever will believe on the Lord. They're now considered my people. 2 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're his own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his light. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people. Once you obtained no mercy, now you have mercy. Before you weren't anything, now you're the people of God. In Acts 11, we, we read that in Antioch, the believers were first called Christian in Antioch. So we carry the name of the Lord upon us. We are Christians. We are his people. You know, we are his people. We are Christian people. And then another question that comes into my mind is, so is this only relevant to this age? Like, is this something new that God is doing? I don't think so. I think that 2 Chronicles 7, 14 related to every age during during the existence of the church. And it's not just for America, by the way. What if you're in another country? Would not this scripture apply to that country? It would have to. So if Christians cry out, God responds. And so I want to get into this a little bit deeper and explain a little bit more what's going on. Let's break it down in verse number 14. If, and I find it interesting that he's saying, if my people will do these things. You would think that my people would already be doing these things. So he said, if my people will, number one, humble themselves. 
Why aren't his people already humble? Something happened. Something happened. Can anyone relate? Don't raise your hand. But most of us can relate. We are his people. Sometimes we are not very humble. But if my people will humble themselves. It's a call to the church. It's a call to those that call upon his name and use his name to identify who they are. But if my people will, will uh, humble themselves, recognize sin in our lives, recognize failure in our lives, manifest deep sorrow for our sin in our heart and soul, and renew that covenant relationship that we have with the Lord, get humble before God. Second Chronicles 11, referring to the Levites, says, The Levites set their heart... To seek the Lord. Second Chronicles 15 says, They made a covenant with the Lord to seek Him with all their heart and with all their soul. Sometimes just getting humble to the Lord before the Lord is, is, is a way for us just to seek His presence in our lives. David said, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the Lord is saying, if my people will get broken and get desperate again and repented again and get humble before me. James 4.10 says, when we humble ourselves before the Lord, guess what? He will lift us up. Many of us want to get lifted up before we get humble. It doesn't work that way. We have to get humble before the Lord. He will lift us up, meaning he will use us to accomplish his goal or his purpose through our lives and through our ministry. Some people have that backwards. They lift themselves up and then pray for God's blessing, and God didn't ordain it that way. But humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He will lift you up. So the first thing is God is calling us to get humble before him. Secondly, he's calling his people to pray. And you would think all those God's people should be a praying people. We should be a praying people. But he's saying, if my people will humble themselves and pray. So this is telling us that, you know, there are some times when we don't pray. And I don't want to have a raise a showing of hands, but I've been down that road myself where seasonally, there may be seasons of my life where I'm not praying as much as I want to or as, as much as I should. But if my people called by my name will get humble and pray, Pray. Literally pray. Remember the Lord's Prayer sermon a few weeks ago? When you pray, Jesus said, go into your room and shut the door. And, and no, nobody see what you do. And, and your prayer in secret will be honored by your Father who's in heaven. In other words, make time. Find a place. Make a way to pray to God. And, and ask for what? Week, uh, weekly bread? Monthly bread? Yearly bread? I'll pray once a year. Lord, bless my year. No, no. Give us our daily bread. Pray daily, every day, daily prayer. It's a discipline. But if my people will literally pray and seek my face, you know, pray, and call, call out to me. James 5.16, it's the little story of Elijah, Old Testament character who had a nature like ours. But when he prayed, God responded to him. And James says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. So praying to God daily, and listen, I, I'm telling you, we've got to pray daily. I want, I'll say it again. I said it a few weeks ago in the sermon. Find a place. Make a place in your house or apartment or your workplace where you can be alone with God for a little bit of time. 
And let that be your place. You know, every now and then, Pamela and I go to New York to visit my mom. And uh, she lives in a small condo. And a couple of weeks ago when we went down, I said, well, what am I going to do? I don't have my place anymore. My place is, I come to the church to pray, but, but I don't have my place. So I had to find a place in her condo. I call it my little prayer closet. And you know what? It is a, a closet. It is literally a closet. It's right next to the washer and the dryer. But that's my spot when I go down there. I've got to have a spot to pray. And so we need to be a praying people. And prayer actually is an act of humility. It's an act of faith. To pray to God even when you don't see anything. And I I prayed to God when I saw no results for a long time. And some things I'm praying for right now, I see no light at the end of the tunnel. I see no light, but I know that God hears my prayers. And I will keep praying until I see a light. I've had other prayers that made no sense in the beginning. But after a time, that prayer was answered. I had a couple recently answered by God. And I, I, I don't even know how it happened other than a sovereign move of God upon the situation. So he's saying, if my people will get humbled and pray, remember, this is to his people. His people who are called by his name. Christian brother and sister, I include myself. He's speaking to us. If we will get humble, if we will literally pray. And by the way, thank you for those that were engaged in our time of prayer and fasting for the last five weeks. It ended on Friday, but thank you for for taking that and going with it. And the third thing is that if you will, if you will, verse 14, if you will seek my face. What exactly does that mean? Well, if you will seek him not to get forgiven, not to get something, not to get blessed, not for no other reason, just to be in the presence of God. Just seek his face because you want to be in the presence of the Lord. You don't want anything. You just want him. So seek his face. Second Chronicles 19, it says uh, regarding King Jehoshaphat, uh, Good things I found in you, King Jehoshaphat, because you removed the wooden images, you got rid of the sin, and you prepared your heart to seek God. In other words, there was no sin issue. You didn't want anything. You all you wanted was to seek God. What a great thing to do. Just to come into the presence of God and just enjoy the presence of God. You're not asking for anything. You're not asking to be forgiven. Everything's under control. Everything's good. All you need is the presence of God. Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Jesus said, Seek and you'll find. Seek his face. And the fourth thing is, turn from your wicked ways. Well, I have, I have a question about what are, What's that doing in the same context of my people? So it's a, it's a reality check, actually. My people do wicked things, is what he's saying. So you're, you may be my child. You may be my son or my daughter. But you know what? There's things in your life that in, the Lord says, in my opinion, are wicked. The problem with that is our culture... And God's word are totally opposed. In other words, what's acceptable culturally, many things are termed wicked in the eyes of the Lord. So we could go down a list of things. But for example, uh, they, might, they may not seem wicked at, at, first, at first glance, but you, cursing, taking the Lord's name in vain, for instance. Sexual immorality, sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage. Uh, pride, arrogance, stealing. 
coveting. All these things are, are things that are, in God's eyes, are wicked. And he's addressing this to the church. This is what gets me here. If my people will turn from their wicked ways. So that means some of God's people are involved in wickedness. And they're still his people. He didn't let go of them yet. He's not going to let go of them just yet. But there's always that danger that one day you'll say, you want to go? Go. Whatever. He's saying, but if you turn from your wicked ways. So now, now he's saying, okay, you could pray. You know, you could do all these good things. But now you have to actually do something about it. You have to act on it. You, you have to do something to, to tell me, the Lord says, that you're serious about turning from your sin. So, you know, you want to get humble? Okay, get humble. But if you really want to get humble, get rid of that thing that you're doing or stop doing that thing. That'll really prove your humility before God. Um, if you really want to pray, okay. But, you know, get rid of the sin in your life. Jeremiah 25, 5 says, Repent now from your evil ways and your evil doings. Hebrews 4, 16, I always love this scripture. But in the context of turning from your sin, it says, Come boldly to the throne of grace. So turn from your sin, whatever it is that you're doing or involved with. And, and let, let's be clear. You may like the sin. You may not even see a problem with it. But in God's word, it's a wicked deed or a wicked act or a wicked thought. So you want to do what God says and you want to turn from it. You may not even feel like it, but in obedience you, you'll do it. But come boldly to the throne of grace to ask for help in your time of need. Oh God, help me understand why that's wrong. Help me understand how I could get over it. Help me understand that there's victory through the cross. Lord, help me with this. But come boldly before the throne of grace. Not the throne of condemnation, but the throne of grace. And he will help in our time of need. So we have these, these four things. If we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and, and turn from our wicked ways, then, then, in verse 14, he will hear us. Hallelujah. So that means sometimes he doesn't hear us. Like if we have issues going on, guess what? He, he, I think he hears us, but he doesn't really respond because we're not right. Like there's a couple of things in the scriptures. The Old Testament says when there's sin in our lives, the Lord doesn't hear us. In the New Testament, it says when a husband treats his wife the wrong way, guess what? It hinders his prayers to God. So when there's issues in our lives, he doesn't hear us. But when we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face in turn, then he hears us. He, he receives our prayer. Revelation tells us that our prayers to the Lord are like, uh, like incense in a bowl that's going up as an aroma that's pleasing to the Lord. He hears and he wants to hear our prayers. Second Chronicles 7.15, the next verse, when number 14 is accomplished, now my eyes will be open, my ears will be attentive to the prayers made in this place. Whereas before, he would hear but not respond to the people. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you, and, and show you great and mighty things which right now you do not see. So Jesus, or the Lord God, will respond to us in love and compassion. Think of the story of the prodigal son's father, who just waited for that boy to come home again. He wanted to forgive him, he wanted to receive him and bless him, and he sure did. But the Lord wants to hear our prayers, and he wants to take care of us. And secondly, he wants to forgive us of our sin. So 
some people will say, you know, there's no, there's no sin in the body of Christ because it's all covered by the blood. Well, it is covered by the blood, but when we do something, we're supposed to confess that sin to the Lord. He did what he did, now we have to do what we have to do, and that is to continually bring it before the Lord. Psalm 103, one of my favorite scriptures. As far as, I remember the first time I read this many years ago, I, said, I, didn't, even know, I didn't even know hallelujah language yet. I just felt something in my heart that said, wow, that's great. As far as east is from west, so far have I taken your sin away from you. That's like, man, so many of us carry our sinful deeds from years ago. It's a trap from Satan. I'm telling you right now, it's a demonic trap. The Lord has forgiven us, removed it from us, taken it off of our back. We don't, we're not designed to carry the weight of our sin. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. He took our sin upon himself to free us from that burden. I don't want the burden of carrying my sins. I can't. I can't. And neither can you. Jesus came to deliver us from that whole situation. So as far as east is from west, he has taken our sin away from us. The blackboard, the the marker board, whatever, the marker board would be a better analogy. Is white clean. It's clean. It's a clean slate right now. Not a slate, whatever it is. It's a clean thing. It's a clean board. But it's, it's clean because Jesus has made it clean. So listen, I know all about this. I, we've done skits about this in our previous place of ministry. We, had, we did a skit once on, on our talent night. Let me just get into this real quick. I want to get in and get out of this really quick. So we did a skit. Uh, it was a family skit. And the, the, the skit was about Rocky. No, Rocky. And uh, in the skit, um, Apollo Creed was whispering in Rocky's ear, You're a nobody. You can't do it. Who do you think you are? I'm better than you. You're a nobody. You'll never win. And so we had this skit where I think I was Apollo Creed and Jeffrey was, a little boy was Rocky. And Rocky ends up knocking out Apollo Creed. And and the, the point was, God gives us the victory. Satan is out to get us. He's out to confuse us. He's out to make us feel guilty and horrible when Jesus took all of that upon the cross. So as far as east is from west, he's taken our sins away from us. Psalm 51 says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be what? Clean. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Joel 2.25 says, I will restore to you the years that the canker worms have stolen away. I'll give you those years back. I love Psalm 32. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 kind of go together. They're great psalms of repentance. And David says in Psalm 32, How blessed is the man or the person whose sin is forgiven, whose transgression is covered. Listen, we're not designed to walk around carrying the weight of the world upon our shoulders. We're all sinners. We admit it. We're all guilty. Done deal. We accept it. But Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for our sin, and we are let off the hook, and we can live in freedom to serve him without that guilt upon our lives and upon our soul. So he forgives us. Well, he wants to forgive us. He doesn't want us to walk around with all that. That's his responsibility. He wants his church to be mobile and activated to make a difference. And we could never do that with the proverbial ball and chain around our ankle. He has set us free to live for him. 
And then the, the third thing is that he will heal their land. And this is where it gets a little, a little bit different because we don't have a land. It's not like we have a nation. We don't have a country. All the Christians live in a country. But we have a territory. We have a, we have a sphere of ministry that we're responsible for. I believe that this, this part of the verse pertains to the effectiveness of the church. In Psalm 51, after the great repentance, David says, Then I will teach others their transgressions. So after all the healing and the repentance and the restoration, God turns him around to be a vessel that he would use to bring life to other people that are currently in. So when he says heal their land, heal their territory, he's talking about renewed power in the church, renewed anointing for effectiveness in the church. Proverbs 29, which is our theme for our our building campaign, says when uh, the righteous flourish, the people rejoice. Paraphrase that. When the church is on fire, when the church is anointed and in good standing with God, the unsaved begin to rejoice because they begin to get saved. They know where to go to get salvation. They know where to go to get help. But when the the righteous flourish, the people rejoice because they come into a living relationship with the Lord. So if we do that, God will do that. So hallelujah. But now let's go back to chapter 7 and verse 19. But if we don't do that, you know, if we don't do that, verses 19 through 22, if we don't do verse 14, and I think that in many ways, the modern church of the Western world today is like on a, on a seesaw kind. There's one, one side of it is doing good. The other side's not even really a church. And they're not doing what verse 14 says. But if we don't do what verse 14 says, we're open to the attack of Satan, absolutely. But even worse than that, worse than that, is we're open to having God's hand removed from our ministry and effectiveness. And let me, let me put it this way. For many years, how many years? 10, 11 years? We've been going to Gar Park down, downtown, having Hillstock. Minister to hundreds of people, 1,000 people. Salvations, giveaways, food, skits, everything. We preach the gospel for 10, 11 years. And th- what this is saying, if we don't do what, what verse 14 says, we'll lose that effectiveness. It says that there, you're going to lose your land. You're going to lose Israel. Well, we don't have an Israel, but we have a territory. We'll lose our effectiveness that we spent money on and, and poured out into, into doing God's work in that area. We'll lose the anointing that God gave us if we don't stay humble and persistent before the Lord. It says that in ver- those verses, I won't take time to read it, but you lose the effectiveness of, of the temple. You lose the effectiveness of the mansion where the king lives. In other words, your church will be empty. Your church will have no life in it. Your church will have no anointing in it. God will leave you. And people will walk by and say, what happened to that place? What happened to those people? They used to be so full of life, and now you can hear a pin drop in that place. What is, what is the reason? And the verse 20, 22 says, well, they, le- they left their first love. They, they forsook the Lord. They forgot that God delivered their forefathers from Egypt. They forgot their testimony. And God removed his blessing, and then calamities came upon it. And here we are, church, 2020, here we are. And the Lord is saying to us, I believe it with all my heart, if my people who are called by my name today will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, the Lord says. 
In other words, I'll hear your prayers coming through to heaven. I'll forgive you. I'll, I'll, hear, I'll heal and empower your, your, your sphere of ministry. Not your land, because we don't have a land. So we're at this point of what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do? That's why we had this, this five weeks of prayer and fasting. Well, I think of Revelation. Uh, we won't turn there, but Revelation 2 and 3 are the seven letters to the churches. And if you study those churches, the Lord says things like, to one church, you lost your first love. To another church, you're, you're doing okay, but there's sexual immorality in your church. To another one, he says, your works are not right. They're not perfect. Another one, he says, you're neither hot nor cold. And every church, every letter to the church ends with the phrase, if you have an, he who has an ear, let him hear. And let him, be in, let him overcome. He who overcomes will inherit you know, the kingdom. So repent. Go back to your first works and get things right. And like I said, this, is, this could be our last chance to get it right. And I know there's, there's going to be pushback. Listen, from my point of view, as a minister in town, there's pushback against me and people like me that stand upon the Word of God for what it is, the Word of God. There's other ministers, other churches in town that don't believe this the same way we believe it. There's, we get pushback. And if we get it, everyone's going to get it. I mean, culturally, everything goes. Everything's okay. Spiritually, it's not okay. And the church must arise to be a beacon of light, you know, that points people to God. So in closing... We are called by his name. We are labeled Christian. When I die, I said it this morning. When I die, I want the first thing that someone to say is, he was a Christian. He gave his heart to the Lord at age 27. 20, no, 20, 26. Forgot. And, and, but he was, he was a Christian. I want that to be my legacy. He was a Christian. And so are you. You are a Christian person. And if we're his people, we're called by his name. We use his name to identify who we are, Christian. We have a responsibility to God to maintain a good relationship with him. As they say, it'll kill you to do that. And it's supposed to kill you. It's supposed to help you die to self, to live unto the Lord. Right? That's what the word says. We have a responsibility to one another. Because when one person struggles, we're all affected by it. When one person gets a victory, we're affected by that too. But we, we're responsible to one another to live a good life, to give a, a, live a godly Christian life. We're accountable to one another in a sense because we reflect each other. If I have a problem or you have a problem, other people are affected by it. They will help you, we'll pray and all that. But if someone gets you know, lost again and gets all messed up again, it has a negative effect upon the church. But we have a responsibility to one another to hold the banner of the cross high in our lives. And we also have a responsibility to the lost because the church that will tell them the way of salvation. The church, that's the church's commission to go into all the world and preach this gospel. And if we're not running on all cylinders, you know, we have nothing to say. We have nothing to give. But the Lord is calling us to be a witness in this day. So let's look at verse number 14. I want to say it. I want to say it together with you. It's on the screen up there. Say it with me. If my people 
who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let's say it again. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Can we stand together, please? And I'm going to just want to give you an opportunity. I don't want you to... Well, maybe you should. If you want to raise your hand or if you want to come forward, that's okay. But every head bowed for just a minute. You heard this message and you're, you're convicted. Uh, listen, I preach this message and I'm convicted. I'm the biggest convict of all, in a sense. I'm guilty of most things. But I see the grace of God in it. If then, if then, if I, then God. If we, then God. In the background is the pandemic, violence in the streets, racial issues, political hatred, fires out west, hurricanes down south, tension, stress, uncertainty, homeschooling the kids, working with the school. Work is different. Everything's different. Money's running out for some people. If, then. If I, then God. If we, then God will. So I just wonder if there's anyone here today that calls themselves a Christian, first of all. This is to the church. You call yourself a Christian, but you're convicted. And you just want to respond and say, oh God. Like the story that Jesus told of the, the, the poor man in the Pharisee, the poor man just stood in the corner beating his breast saying, oh, Father, forgive me. If that's you today, just respond in such a way that the Lord knows, I, I, I feel this today. I feel this word. Thank you. I feel this. This applies to me. Thank you. I feel this, Lord. I feel what you're saying. I feel it. And, Lord, I, I don't know exactly what to do about it because I, I need your help in knowing your thoughts. I need to think like you think, Lord. I need to get the mind of Christ regarding these issues because some things I don't get because of the way I was brought up or whatever. But I need you, Lord, to show me the way out of this mess. I'm a Christian, but, oh, Lord, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not where I should be. I'm not, I, I still feel chained. Oh, Lord. I wonder if anyone would, would feel comfortable, no one looking around, just raising your hand. If you feel chained, raise your hand before the Lord. Say, Lord, I feel chained. I need to be set free, Lord. I know you set me free, but I don't feel free. I still feel bound up in certain areas of my life. I'm a Christian. Lord, help me. Yeah. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Oh, God, help me, Lord. Lord, help us to see through your eyes. When the world says, oh, this is okay, that's okay, you have a right to do this, a right to do that, and you even have a right to hold a grudge against, Lord, help us to see things through your eyes. 
Lord, that'll take a miracle right there, but we pray for a miracle. Let us see things through your eyes, oh God. But Father, we come before you today and we, we reestablish our covenant with you. Lord, many years ago, maybe not so long ago for some of us, maybe earlier this year, maybe a month ago, we came to a place where we received you as Lord and Savior. We made an agreement with you, Lord. If, if I open my heart, you're going to come in and establish your kingdom in my heart. Lord, I want to renew that, that prayer right now. I want to renew my relationship with you, Lord, right now. I want to ask you, Lord, come back, reestablish you, yourself, as the king of my heart. Forgive me, Lord, of my sins. Forgive me of my impatience. Forgive me of things that I ponder and do and, and think about that I know aren't godly. I know they're not right, but I, I'm stuck in it. Lord, help me. I, I feel trapped. I want to get out. Help me, Lord, to, 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 to rise above those issues. So, Lord, I want to pray for the church right now. Lord, not only that we would renew our salvation, but also, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. You, your word says, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you to be my witnesses. And, Lord, we can't be a very good witnesses, wit, witness if we're wallowing in our own sinful condition and basically miserable with everything. So we pray, Lord, for the empowerment of your Spirit to come upon us to renew and refresh and empower and give us, Lord, a, a second work of grace that will be filled with your Holy Spirit to make a difference in this life that we're in right now. Oh, God, may our days on earth not be used frivolously, oh, God. May our days on earth be punctuated by this nagging thought, one day I'm going to meet the king. One day I'm going to see Jesus face to face. In the meantime, I will serve him. Help us, Lord, to serve you with a clean heart, with a full heart. So, Lord, if, if my people, we're your people, that are called by your name, we're called by your name, we're called Christians. If we humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways, Lord, your word says, then you will hear our prayers. You will forgive us our sin and you will heal our land, meaning you will, you will empower our ministries. You will, you will heal our effectiveness in the sphere that we minister in. Lord, whether it's our homes, our families, our workplace, our school place, our communities, whatever it is, our church, whatever it is, Lord, let us be effective for the kingdom of God. So we thank you, Lord. We praise you. We look forward to what you're going to do, Lord. In these days, many would say in these last days, Lord, get your church ready as a pure, holy, spotless bride, ready for your return. Let us be busy about the things of God. Let us not settle for second best, Lord. So, Lord, thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, come. Do your work now. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to your name, O oh God. Glory to your name. Father, we just want to pray for those that have been suffering through the pandemic, those that lost loved ones, to be comforted. Lord, 200,000 plus people lost, loved, lost their lives. That's 200,000 plus families that are grieving. We pray for them, Lord, to be comforted. We pray for those that are sick to be better. We pray for those that are affected by the fires and the hurricanes to be restored, to, for their lives to be restored. And we pray, Lord, for uh, those that are bound up with uh, the social, socialized climate that we're in, the violence on the streets. We pray, Lord, for peace on our streets. We pray, Lord, for this political season to, to be what you want it to be, Lord. We're, we're, we're not po uh, politicians. We're Christians. We're praying for your will to be done. 
We pray, Lord, that your will would be done in this election. And from now until then, may peace prevail in this country. We pray for your church, Lord, to rise up, to be a voice in these days. Let us not compromise our, our position. Let us not be political so much that we, we're not spiritual. Let us be spiritual. And let us be socially conscious of what's going on around us. So, Lord, we just pray for your anointing, your blessing, and we thank you for this opportunity. Glory to your name, O oh God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, come on. Everybody said amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.